it's more than a job. It's like a, it's like a Sunday school teacher. You know, it's a calling. It's one would say teaching is a calling. You know, you need to, you need to believe in it. Um, I absolutely believe in beer. Um, I love the fact that it's bitter um, because bitterness means kids won't drink it. Um, I love the fact that hops has aroma um, because that gives us a whole nother thing to play with. Um, yeah. And I love beer and I, Unapologetically love beer. Cheers. <laughs> Five glasses empty. Lovely words from today's guest, Andrew Downs. Today's conversation is a highlight in my short podcasting career. Both Andrew and I started our careers at Bavaria Brow, and we finally get a chance to catch up and reminisce about the wonderful times we had at this family brewer. Andrew spent six and a half years at Bavaria and then went on to work at SAB for 10 years. Those 10 years prepared him for his second career path as a freelance trainer and brewer. Thank you for joining me in this wonderful conversation with Andrew today. Andrew Downs, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to chat again. Yeah, it's been a while. Andrew, you must be one of the few people that I know that started working at Bavaria before I did. I just had a look on your <laughs> on your LinkedIn profile. You started there in 1992. That's a long time yeah. ago. It was, uh, it was a student job. It started off as a student job. Uh, okay. And then uh, became a, a career decision. Okay. So, Andrew, what I'd really like to know is what was it like to do your internship under George Funk, the Bavarian brewmaster? Apprentice. It was a pupillage. I did a pupillage. Oh, uh, okay. So, so it wasn't quite an apprenticeship okay. and not quite an internship. Um, but you kind of had to – old man Funk had us going around from one area to the other to the other – um, kind of like an apprenticeship, but not as formal, I okay. suppose. But it was it was uh, kind of along the lines of what I guess one would do in Bavaria. I'm, I guess so. Yeah, from what I understand. Did you also um, have to run classes, or I did that on my own. Okay. Um, I did the um, IBD. Um, because they did uh, distance learning. They, it was at the time Institute of Brewing, and mm. now it is Institute of Brewing and Distilling. Yeah. Um, so that was helping me on the formal side. Okay. Okay. So do you, do you know what um, George Funk's background was? Because he was, he was obviously a trained brewer, and he did his whole thing, and he always complained that he had to change the, the rubber seals on the swing top bottles. That was kind of the entry-level job as a brewer or a trainee or an apprentice in Bavaria. Um, I, I actually don't know his whole um, <laughs> story, but I know that he came out to South Africa apparently to work in, uh, work for SAB, um, and he worked, uh, yeah, and then the stories go, and it's all very, it's also a bit vague now, um, but he was up in Ndola in northern Zambia, um, and he was in 
Bulawayo, yeah. I think. Um, kind of the names, they all kind of blend together. It's easy. It's called Northern Rhodesia and Southern Rhodesia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So what? talk to us about Bavaria when you got there. What was there? All right. So my first job, it was uh, a June student job for a month. Okay. Uh, Micah Donovan, uh, when I first, first got there, um, the brew house had been more or less installed, um, but there was absolutely nothing. There was, um, uh, it was Micah Donovan. Um, there was a guy called George, um, I think in sales. And then there was Mr. Funk. And, uh, and when we started, I think I started from about brew number. Um, they'd done two brews before I arrived that June. And uh, maybe about brew number three really? was when I first got there. Wow. And I knew absolutely nothing. <laughs> I, you know, it was, <laughs> I, I kind of, in preparation, read about the brewing process. And uh, yeah, nothing prepared me. You know, it's, it was practical. It was um, connect hose pipes, hoses, beer hoses to pumps, um, connect pumps to tanks and and clean tanks and uh, transfer beer and yeah and, but what, um, you know see so you, yeah. you kind of read the all the theory the the varsity textbooks about brewing and uh, and it's absolutely useless yeah. because you just need to know how to connect a hose to a pump <laughs> kind of thing yeah. yeah and follow instructions okay talking about varsity you you clearly did attend university Yep, I was uh, so Pretoria Tuckies, yeah, microbiology department. And was there oh, the was BSC. was there a brewing club there, or how did you get into uh, this? Brewing? Is the, this is the days before brewing clubs. Okay, um, you know, and uh, we had wildlife clubs, and uh, I, I forget the other clubs, rock climbing and photography and those kind of things. Um, brewing wasn't even yet a wasn't even a hobby in South Africa. Ah, there probably was. Um, but things like Werthogs, uh, which is probably the first yeah. proper homebrewing club, um, only arrived maybe in the mid to late 90s. Yeah. Um, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I, no, I got into it because my subject was microbiology. Mm. Um, I had two choices. It was zoology, which is sounding you know, really grand, um, but you work in a game farm, someone else's game farm, drive someone else's vehicles, wear someone else's uniforms. Um, they take deduct for your accommodation and you're left with pocket money afterwards. And, uh, and I'd done some work at DeVilt's Cheetah Center mm -hmm. um, and it, it was really cool uh, you know, for a youngster, um, but brewing was cooler. And, um, so, and at a brewery, you brew somebody else's beer on somebody else's brewery. <laughs> yes, but listen to this. At the end of the day, you get free beer. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of the month, they give you more free beer to take home. I remember um, that. And then, and then they even pay you. So it was kind of like a trick. I wasn't quite sure how this worked. You know, <laughs> but yes, we were on the DOP system, um, and we loved it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, and 
just so so the the microbiology just sorry just to mm-hmm. come back the microbiology i had um I'd done some work in, uh, it was about understanding what you can do, career opportunities as a microbiologist. Um, I'm definitely not a lab type person. I don't have the, uh, the discipline and the uh, methodical uh, manner to work in a lab. And uh, so I'd worked in a dairy for a bit. I'd worked in a pathology lab. That's really not up my street. That's when I realized I'm not a lab person. Um, and I'd worked in, I'd worked at an effluent plant. Okay. So from an effluent plant to a brewery, even I, would, were, even know. I know what 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 to choose. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wonderful. <clears throat> so, so this was really early, early days. I mean, um, can you remember how big the the brew house was? So brew house was eighty five hectoliters. So it's 8,500 liters, so 8,500 liters of brew. Um, it was a lovely brew house, beautiful brew house. Um, five, five vessels. So we had a cooker, um, a mash tun, a lighter tun, six vessel, an underback, a wort kettle, and a whirlpool. Um, because remember, Bavaria wasn't run at Skabot. It mm. had uh, the Bavaria, the Edelager had uh, maize, a small proportion of maize in. Um, and and that, that was, purely, that was purely for the taste, not because it was cheaper. No, it, it's about drinkability. Yeah. It's about drinkability. It, um, and remember, we we were competing in a in an existing market. Yeah. And the existing market um, was not looking for multi, very multi beers. Okay. Um, yeah. So we did eighty-five hectoliters, and we had do um, our fermenters. We're two brew fermenters, so 170 hectoliters, 17,000 liters. And then we had four brew storage vessels. Um, and interesting thing about the storage, uh, I still I can tell my students I've done it. We used to do croisin, which was a uh, process where you, um, when you filled up a storage vessel, you put in uh, two fermenters into a storage vessel, and then you put about 10% of the volume of fresh beer, beer that was mm. one day old, into the storage vessel. Um, you would uh, close up. There's a bung line which allowed uh, pressure to build up, and then you uh, it fermented. So the the croissant going in gave you sugars and a bit of yeast, and uh, and so we had the secondary fermentation. Um, yeah, uh, the craft brewers today would love it, and I don't think even many of them are doing that secondary fermentation. Mm. I remember that because I had to do uh, a lot of brew, uh, brewery tours. What's it called? Brewery tours. Whenever Andrew was not there, Holger had to do brewery tours, and Holger knew nothing. So, but I do remember reading up on these words. I, do, I, I never knew what they meant, but uh, thanks for explaining. <laughs> so, just uh, let, can I go back to my my first week there, my first day there? Um, so we finished up, and uh, at the time, um, the pub was sort of getting sorted out, but we used to uh, sample, sample was the word, not drink, sample, in the lab upstairs. And, um, and so one of my jobs was to uh, go down to the uh, cellars with a, a few two-liter glass jugs and 
pour, you know, fill up the jugs with beer from the storage vessel. Um, and then on Friday, there was uh, the pub was opened, or, or not opened, but Mr. Funk and uh, the kind of senior, the execs, um, had Jeff, Jeff was the other guy there, uh, had beers in the pub. And I kind of walked down the stairs, peeped in, and here were all these old guys. And I was a youngster, 22 at the age, uh, at that stage. And I looked in, I thought, oh, these guys are really intimidating. And I snuck out. And on Monday morning, Micah Donovan came and called me in to the brew house. And he said, Andrew, um, I can't force you to go to the pub. But let me tell you, it's expected you will be there. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> um, so yes, yes. And it was a, that pub was uh, absolutely central to the culture of Bavaria Brow. Yeah. Uh, Friday, Friday afternoons were legendary. Um, uh, we'd close, the brewery would finish early, um, half past one on a Friday, and, uh, and the guests would start arriving in the pub at three o'clock. And we normally got out by about eight o'clock at night. Yeah. Uh, they tried to put in a rule that we'd close the pub last round at six o'clock, and then uh, Herr Funk would ask, ask for a fifth. Yeah. No, just a fifth of the yeah. glass. Oh, uh, yes. Four fifths foam, one fifth beer. Uh, just because the conversation was good. And, um, and he wasn't quite ready to go home yet, but he, he'd had enough to drink. Yes. So, yeah. Oh, that is, that's a wonderful memory. I remember that fifth. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Michael Donovan and Donald also used to, I think they even frequented in the week. Absolutely, yeah. In the week, we were all there. Uh, th that eventually became the um, the drinking in the lab was slightly frowned upon, and uh, they opened a pub every day after five. Uh, and that was that free beer every day, draft beer, nothing fresher than uh, yeah, yeah, the breasts, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful uh, memories. I, I mean, during those years, I was working in Durban, and so I started in '94, and by 2000, I was. Finally, got a got a short stint at the brewery, and uh, I, I I just can't tell you how I enjoyed those Friday afternoons. It was wonderful with a with a Weisswurst, yeah, and the and Senf. the Senf, the the German mustard, <laughs> lovely stuff, yeah, um, yeah, and the bread rolls. So um, fresh. If, if you brewed so much beer, how did who, where did it go? Was there a market? There absolutely was. Um, it, it took a while to uh, for the guys to get uh, um, used to the idea. Um, at the time, SAB had uh, done an absolutely sterling job. They'd um, outcompeted uh, intercontinental breweries mm. and eventually absorbed them. And they very much punted the brand loyalty um, in the same way that we get now um, sports team loyalty. You know, no one would ever imagine going from yeah. uh, supporting blue bulls to supporting the sharks. Yeah. Um, just don't do that. Uh, and the same thing there. So our problem was overcoming, you know, when people need to put down their money and they can go for a, a certain bet uh, and Castle Lager was that, white Toyota Corolla, you know, you know, it's absolutely reliable uh, and there's no um, risk at all. 
and then to risk putting you down your money on something that may or may not be okay. Um, it was okay, um, but it just you know people people were resistant, mm. um, and I think the other thing that hurt us um, to some extent was that it wasn't universally available. So if you went from one pub in uh, Skuman Street, um, McCoy's, to another pub in maybe Hatfield, uh, you couldn't get your same brand. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, so you need, you, a brewery needs to get a certain amount of um, Distribution. universal, that's it, you know, mm. uh, mass. You need to be in, in a certain amount of at least the same type of pubs. Yeah. Um, and I think this is what the craft brewing industry is struggling with at the moment. Um, they're not getting a critical mass in a certain area, yeah. you know. Uh, so they're trying to, from our point of view, send to Cape Town and beers to Kimberley. And, uh, but you, it's not the right way. Mm. You need to draw a circle. Uh, there's an old story of uh, within, the, within sight of the brewery chimney. And uh, if you can't see the brewery chimney, well, you're out of your territory. Yeah. Uh, and I think you guys down in Derbs somewhat achieved that. Yeah, we did. You know, um, you got critical mass. We got we got that. And I think it it is because we like those neighborhood pubs. <clears throat> so both, uh, both Marcus and I liked hanging out at those neighborhood pubs. And I think we kind of got that. So if I drink here today, I might be there tomorrow and, and, Yep. So we didn't go into the sports clubs. It was always the same kind of venue that we were drawn to. Yes. And I think um, by chance or by luck, we managed to kind of get decent distribution. And when when I started, it was uh, SAB had just launched a 12.5 litre keggy system, which everybody yes. hated. So we converted yes. all the old underbar fridges um, yes. from Castle Lager draft into Bavaria by just changing the, the logo. Yes, brilliant. So brilliant. I, think, I think also, remember at the time, Freeman, Freeman Lager had also just kind of, it's a, I think maybe KZN Durban area little, were a little bit more open to um, alternative beers. The Freeman Lager was a brilliant beer. Um, and and when that went under, I'm not quite sure the circumstances there, but it people had already had a taste of it's okay to try something else. Try something else, yeah. I remember returning from overseas. I think it was in '93, and I went to some varsity rugby game in Marisburg, and everybody was drinking this funny beer, um, and that was yeah. Freeman's Lager. And you're right, um, it didn't last very long. It was taken over by. SAB, they want. They said they bought the the canning line, but they actually, I think, squashed it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. That's that's interesting. Um, and I think we also one thing that worked for us was that we didn't have to report to any bosses. The bosses were six hours away in Joburg. Yes, irritating yes. everybody else. Where we could, our business in Durban was run by a sales team rather yep. than by a it didn't mean we made money but we certainly sold a lot of beer well i think the other thing is it stops the knee jerk reaction mm. you know love them or hate them but uh, management sometimes they 
they make decisions, reflex decisions mm. um, based on ego and pride and, you know, uh, good things. Um, and they keep ask, well, oh, there's a new outlet in wherever. Um, Ravonia Road, why aren't we in it? Yeah. Without, you guys are probably um, understanding the market better and being able to read a pub, read, you know, is it a culture fit? Yeah. Because I think that's a big thing. You know, it's a culture fit. Mm. Does it fit the, the culture of the pub? Or are we going into a, a black label and a, um, Rich Lewin Coke pub? In which case, these people are, yeah, fanatically brand loyal. Um, and you're just not going to get traction. Yeah. I don't know. Yet when, when I started and we spoke about uh, Bernie O'Hagan the other day, so my, my training consisted of a week with Bernie O'Hagan. So Bernie had a BMW, Rep yes. 3 Series. and 3 Series, I, iconic. And I think he did uh, five sales calls and sold probably 500 cases of beer. And so he, so the, and, and he said the golden rule is if you open a beer or if you drink a beer, you, you can't go back into a customer. So you can't go into, right. you can't go into the trade smelling of beer. So if you've had been tempted and you had a beer, then you just carry on drinking. You you can't go back, um, <laughs> which, I, which I'm sure happened occasionally. Um, so this was post the time where all brewers were issued with a driver. I mean, we had to drive ourselves. Yes, yes. <laughs> but but I was I was blown away by Bernie's sales skills, and he sold at least 500 cases of Bavaria every day that week and i think when i started we struggled to sell to sell five cases a day so yeah he certainly had you know he had a two-year advantage to to the durban business if he's if he also started in 2092 but um i can remember when we hit sales targets of a million and then two million and then i kind of lost track so we certainly I always tell people we sold more beer in Durban than the rest of South Africa put together. Remember when you guys had, uh, when the cast, when the Bavaria light, oh, mm. Freudian slip, when the Bavaria light came out, Yeah. Um, uh, you guys did phenomenally well with the uh, Bavaria light on draft. Yes. Um, so just an interesting, from a technical point of view, the Bavaria light ha was a decoction brew. So, um, you took some of the mash, m mashed in the malt, you took some of the mash out, you boiled it, and then you re-added it back. Again, an old technique, um, gave some more malty flavors to the beer. Um, but I, I remember the first time we brewed it, it was like a, um, it was a bit like a, a German U-boat. So Mr. Funk was on the upper level, and he shouted, okay, open valves. Open valve, then you'd have to reply, valve's open, then uh, start the pump, pump started, and you'd start to transfer the mash across. And then he would, uh, he had a stick um, measuring down into the, and you could see where the mash was coming up. And then he'd say, stop pump, close valves, pump stopped, closed valves. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it was just so, you know, obviously that comes from the old days of, yeah. it was a completely, it wasn't manual, but it wasn't automated. So we didn't have um, 
programs running the brew. So if you didn't start the pump, the pump wouldn't start. Okay. Um, but you could stand upstairs and start a pump, which is um, downstairs in the corner. So there was a, a remote control. Yeah. Um, and were you the remote control? Yes, I was the remote. I was the yeah, for that. <laughs> <laughs> and he shouted. It was voice-activated automation in those days. Siri. <laughs> yes, Siri. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Mm. And were you still there when they uh, brewed the point five? No, I wasn't. Okay. I wasn't. Um, I, I left in 98. Yeah. Um, so I got a good six years, just under six years there. Um, and I, no, I think the point five came out closer to 2000. Yeah. Okay. But you don't know how, Again, they, how they brewed that similar. Uh, similar. So they, uh, I remember the, the idea behind the process. It was a, a wort we were making at the time, caramels, cara, cara, which was a soft drink, mm. the malts, the maltizer, malts kind of soft yeah. drink. And then they took that as the base and they added in um, 10% of a standard Edel lager. So 10% of a 5% beer gives you half a percent beer. So that, that was the, the principle behind it, but I never did it. It was, okay. it was after my time. Yeah, I remember that malt drink. What, who ever bought that? I, I wonder what happened to that. Cara, something, I'm sure Cara malts, Cara. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to Google that one. <laughs> Google didn't work then. I figured that out. There's no, there's no history about this brewery, um, because if you, even if you Google it, nothing comes up. And because there was no internet. There was no internet. Yeah. So I told you the other day that I met uh, Prince Leopold von Bayern in Munich. Yes. Um, at Drinktech, and he kindly gave me an audience. And when I explained who I was, he was obviously delighted to talk to me. Um, and he said to me that he's got all the records of the brewery. He's got photos and documents and everything. And he doesn't, he never throws anything away. So he says we can have access or copies of, of those old documents, whatever they are. Um, because remember, he was, a, he was on the board. Yes, uh, yes, and, yes, indeed. And, and he explained the whole story to me, how, how it all worked. Um, with Gudor von Zadler and really big influences in the brewing world in, in Germany were on, on our board at the time. Supporting, yeah. Yeah. Um, but and, uh, yeah, sorry. Unfortunately, the brewery didn't, I mean, it never realized what, what they were hoping, I guess, is what I want Man, to say. Man, they were, they were easily... 15 years too early, yeah. you know, yeah. ahead of the time, ahead of the curve. Um, had they been uh, with the brands they have now or they had then um, available now, um, people's, you know, this is before 90, pre-94. Mm. So there was a very strong conservative ethos, whatever you want to call it, um, in the country. Um, and, and I think... Uh, 2000, 2005 was, would have been the sweet spot. And, uh, and I think post 2016, um, you know, really the Heineken's done really well in the last, 
um, four years, five years, as people's minds are opening yeah. up. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> yeah. That's how it, that's how it goes, I guess. But for me, I was always fascinated by how they did things. I mean, there was a certain standard, like Mercedes trucks, all beautifully yes. branded, and and then the BMW rep cars. I mean, you know, it just didn't make sense to me. But anyway, it was it was. No, but, yeah, no, no, and but uh, but again, that's part of um, aligning your brand. Yeah. You know, um, setting the tone. Um, it's you know uh, interesting things kind of post post my Bavaria days. You know you don't know you don't realize what you're seeing when that's all you know. Yeah. Um, so you move on, and uh, I moved to SAB, and they had all sorts of quality measures and um, f labs and micro departments. We had a small lab um, with Karen in it, um, uh, Karen Benoit, and. Uh, um, and it was just one person and we had no micro tests, but we never had a micro problem because um, coming back to those standards, uh, there was a way to CIP a tank and I didn't know any better. Yeah. So you just followed the standard and uh, we didn't have to test for micro because if you followed the standard, it would work out right. You know, yeah. uh, you know, his, this is kind of uh, time proven methods um, you didn't need to check because it was always done right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, which, which, by the way, um, having left SAB, uh, I, I realized in the craft brewing industry, we need to pass on some of those. No, this is a tradition. This is how you do it. Yeah. Yes, you can take a shortcut. You read something on the internet. Um, and it'll work maybe 80% of the time, but what happens if it doesn't? And what are the consequences? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and just another interesting one. Someone else who bumped into the prince was Anton Erasmus. Yes. Um, he's, a, he's a big uh, um, attendee or a follower of um, the Brow, uh, BF, uh, not the Beerfest, but the Brow, um, What's it called? So drink the, Tech and Bra. Yeah, there's, there's Drink Tech and the other one is called BraCon or something. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and he's also met um, the prince who's obviously, yeah, maybe got some fond memories of South Africa or yeah. Bavaria. Yeah, and I've, I've, I also met Anton in, in Munich and uh, I also have fond memories of Anton in Munich. <laughs> He's a legend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, the, um, so the prince has a stand at at the. Oh, he had a stand at Drink Tech, and uh, obviously there was there was certain protocol you had to observe when you when you approached, and there was a butler <laughs> showing. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. It was so, especially the eastern. Asian world, yes. you know, they all lined up and they all wanted to buy into this whole concept of being a partner with a prince and royalty and German tradition. And so he's yes, uh, yeah. yes, heritage like that you can't just buy. You, you can't know? buy it, no. Uh, no, no. And uh, and then of course we did the Kaltenberg Royal Lager, yes. um, lovely, lovely multi beer. Um, yeah, but again, I think. 
would have been great now. It was just before its time. A little bit heavier than the, so still 5% alcohol, but a bit heavier than the South African beers um, in that time, in that era. Mm. So, yeah. But wonderful glassware and branding was fantastic. Ah, yes. Even the, yeah, Bavaria, the glassware, that, that tulip glass yeah. with the gold, um, gold leaf. Uh, yeah. I must tell Great you stuff. I must tell you about one outlet we had and that was a German club in Westville. Now it's quite a I want to not use the word dodgy but it was quite a dodgy a lot, a lot of regulars and quite price sensitive. So they're all drinking Castle and yeah. there's only Castle draft and you know in the old jug and I was quite friendly with a with a manager and I said to him look we're going to put Bavaria, and he says, yeah, okay. He says, but they'll never, they'll never pay what you want. I said, okay. And I figured out that if we get the stem glasses, ah, and we, so they're slightly smaller than the half liter, and the st everybody wanted to drink out of that glass. So we converted the whole lot. All those you old men drank Bavaria because we had nice glasses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, and, and, and the yes, exactly. Um, the the impression, it's the uh, the brand going yeah. all the way down to you can't, uh, and people don't get it. You can't use unbranded glasses. Yeah, and uh, um, and there's nothing worse than receiving a brand in someone else's glass. Nothing worse. Uh, you know, it's oh man, just rather use an unbranded glass, and um, but don't put. My beer in, don't care if Heineken's got lovely glasses or Castle's got lovely glasses. Just, yeah. you know, we'll get you glasses. Yeah. Which is another one of those old contentious issues. You know, there was always this gripe about glassware and uh, uh, and some people believe that, uh, um, you know, the sales reps, their garages were stocked to the roof with glasses <laughs> t-shirts and you know the poor guys at the brewery we never got glasses and there were no t-shirts and wow oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know sales reps sales reps are suitably dodgy you know they've got their whole house is kitted with bavaria glasses and coasters and no, I'm, i'm putting it on thick but you yeah, get yeah. that yeah. yeah not only these also all their friends Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that that was a wonderful time, and I think we we've we've all got wonderful memories, especially that that Friday afternoon, hey? Absolutely. Yeah. The Friday afternoon. There were a couple of other things. Um, we used to do an annual thing at the uh, German consulate residence in uh, just off Jansmatz. Okay. No, 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 not, not the embassy in Joburg. Um, it was just off Jan Smuts Avenue in, yeah, in Joburg. Um, and that would go, yeah, you'd start at uh, eight o'clock in the morning and uh, you'd go until late. Um, there was also the um, the German church uh, that and in, uh, I think, Pretoria West. Mm. And we'd um, have a few uh, draft taps there. And I still remember um, so setting up at kind of nine o'clock in the morning. And they 
have a, a service at the in the church, and uh, at the end of the service, out come these uh, short, five foot nothing um, German nuns. Um, and they made their way straight. There, there was no hesitating, no greeting the priest, straight to the draft tap to get their glass of beer. Um, <laughs> it was lovely. It was lovely. Yeah. Kind of classic. Um, classic, classic, classic. Yeah. And then one of the highlights was the German school in Joburg. Absolutely, But yes. I mean, the Pretoria one was also good. But I remember selling 150-liter kegs um, at the German at school. school. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Wow. 150 litre yeah. That's a good yeah. sales day. The big truck was there and that was it. And then I think we sold, sold 30 kegs of Scrumpy Jack or something. Yes. Oh, wow. I'd forgotten. Yeah. Scrumpy Jack. John, John Murray. John Murray, yes. He's down Natal somewhere. He lives in Ramsgate, yes. Ah, right. Yes, 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 yes. And there's a wonderful podcast with him that I did because he's got obviously got completely different memories. Um, yes. One of them is when when Prince Philip came to open the the cider plant. Right. Yeah. But it's well worth a listen. It's well worth a listen. Yeah. Yeah. So once you send me a, where would I find it? I'll send you. I'll put a link in the in the notes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, geez. And then there was uh, Two Dogs. Two Dogs with Mike Hazeman. That's, uh, that was the other one. Absolutely legend product. Um, uh, great when it was great. Uh, unfortunately, um, their launch volumes, their launch batch um, had a significant H2S sulfur, a bad egg sulfur on it. And uh, and he made the call to launch. Yeah. And maybe one of those lessons where uh, don't launch until the you've got the product absolutely right. You know, we understand the costs, but uh, the costs of not releasing a an absolutely perfect, pristine mm. product is uh, the cost is higher of releasing a bad product than um, the cost of dumping a bad batch. Yeah, and the consequence uh, was that Hooch owned the market and not two dogs. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. And he'd beaten them initially, but but he'd also yeah. kind of messed up the reputation. That's how I, I remember the, it. The other thing with uh, Hooch is they came with all the different flavors. Mm. And he had one flavor. Two dogs was lemon. a, a once-off mm. lemon. Mm. Yep. Um, and uh, the Hooch guys kind of saw it and then came out with all these different flavors and uh, caught people's um, attention, imagination, whatever. Uh, the ultimate girly drink. <laughs> yeah. Um, these, yeah. These, these are a lot of memories. I wish one would, could catch, capture them all, hey? <laughs> yeah. And uh, what did you do at SAB? So I started there as a project brewer in the new product development. Um, helped with a couple of different products. Um, some of them you'd remember, some of them you wouldn't. 
Um, so uh, uh, the first one was a uh, one. Uh, I won't start with that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, the there was a lemon. So they had reds, and then they had a lemon product packaged in a green bottle, green and yellow metallic label, and I cannot remember the name. Um, and so I did a small reformulation. It was, it was a small project, tweaked the flavor a little bit. Um, and then kind of the one I'm quite proud of was Salantis. Salantis yes. was a ginger beer, um, a, a spicy ginger beer. Uh, and the Salantis came off a Franson Street product. So okay. uh, SAB had uh, the old um, brewery, Freeman Lager Brewery, uh, moved up to, Je to Johannesburg, to Shamdor Brewery, and it was installed there as the Franson Street Brewery. And we did, um, uh, there was an ale, there was a um, wheat beer, there was the ginger beer. I don't remember the other one. There were, I think there were six beers. And the Franson Street ginger did really well. And so we reformulated it into Salantis as a ginger beer. Um, and then... I did some work on the, wait for it, the reformulation of Lion Lager. <laughs> um, you remember when I did Yes. <laughs> so what had happened was Lion was in kind of a long-term decline, um, part of a sine wave. Um, Lion had kind of peaked in uh, 94, um, maybe. But after that, and now we were sitting around um, 2000 and it was in decline and the brand manager, the problem is the beer and we need to redo the, man, uh, the image. And, and so what they did was they, at the time, a very successful brand was Hansa. And the brand manager said, uh, we want to uh, uh, reduce the alcohol in Lion Lager from 5% to about 4.5%. Um, and then we want to reduce the color. Uh, so what's the color of Hansa? We want it to be around the color... And really, he was just trying to do a Me Too brand, um, move Lion towards the Hansa. And, um, and then they packaged it in a, a blue and silver can, <laughs> a blue and silver labeled bottle too. And the consumers that were maybe floundering a little bit, um, they absolutely hated it. And the new consumers that, that they're hoping to uh, uh, catch uh, didn't quite bite. So the, the brand kind of slipped between the lip and the cup and, uh, and it bombed. And if they'd, if they'd had the, the courage to look at what Coke did a couple of years before and just simply relaunched the old lion together mm. with the new lion, uh, but someone insisted, no, we will stick with the new one. It will come right. Um, and eventually lion bombed out. It bombed out until what, maybe three years ago? Yeah. Two years ago when they launched it again. Um, and it was a great brand. So my infamy there was I did the, uh, the reformulation on the product side. Nothing to do with the branding, just some <laughs> tweaks in the product side. <laughs> and, and you were yeah. under, under orders. Yeah, it, I was just following orders. <laughs> and, uh, look, it's... But, but you know what? This is also where you realize that as a brewer, 
um, you are simply pr providing the underlying fundamentals, mm. um, the brand, the perception, the um, the consumer's idea of what it is has nothing to do with the product. Um, yeah, yeah, and the and you cannot just tweak a brand. Um, you cannot make. Yeah, I'm trying to think of something that's uh, uh, maybe a a less popular brand, um, and then uh, dare I go there, Shell, um, with their infamous trying to do fracking in the in the Karoo, and then the Wild Coast, um, and then try and rebrand themselves as an environmentally friendly mm. company. It just you can't do that. Um, it takes a long time for people to build up that trust in a brand. Um, yeah. Uh, and then, so I did two years at central office. Then I went off to the maltings. Uh, maltings is a lot less exciting than, uh, uh the brewing side. Uh, good stuff. I learned hang of a lot at our road maltings. I did two years there. And then, uh, then I'd moved to the training Institute, which was in Kailami TI for six years, um, training brewers. And that kind of set me up for my second career, which for the last um, nearly 20 years mm -hmm. um, has been training. Um, so trying to pass on the knowledge to the next generation, um, pass on some of the traditions, pass on some of the, uh, you know, pride in, in the craft. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, uh, it's more than a job. It's like a, it's like a Sunday school teacher. You know, mm. it's a calling. It's yeah. One would say teaching is a calling. You know, you need to you need to believe in it. Um, I absolutely believe in beer. Um, I love the fact that it's bitter, um, because bitterness means kids won't drink it. Um, I love the fact that hops has aroma, um, because that gives us a whole nother thing to play with. Um, yeah, and I love beer, and I unapologetically love beer. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> My glass is empty. Yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful, wonderful summary. Um, <clears throat> so talking about those traditions and everything, and I just assume that you learned a whole lot from, from George Funk, but uh, did you also pick those up in the, in the big corporates? Absolutely. You know what? Um, SAB, uh, in some ways, they were really good at marketing, and in some ways, they really, really just didn't get it. Um, so I was probably in SAB for about uh, six months, and I, I wanted to pack up, not because I didn't enjoy it, because I was learning so much, and I just wanted to go back to, to Bavaria and say, guys, we've got to measure this. We've got to do that. We've got to, you know, <laughs> um, uh, Yeah. So SAB had a, an incredibly rich heritage. Yeah. Um, uh, their uh, brewing traineeship, they call it a traineeship, was very formalized. Um, it was a two-year traineeship. At the end, you wrote a, a, the, the IBD exams, as, we, as I did. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, there were, there were good traditions. Um, they didn't get to number two in the world by mistake. Yeah. Um, they were tough. Um, they took no prisoners. They, um, they understood their business. 
uh, in ways that uh, there was a bit of a joke. They would say that they measured everything. They measured absolutely everything. Um, and the joke was if it moved, you measured it. If it didn't move, you kicked it until it moved and then you measure it. <laughs> and if it still didn't move, you painted it yellow and black, right? <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was um, – it definitely took me to the next level. Yeah. Um, and and, and uh, very proud of them as a South African company. Um, they were um, quite s- streetwise and not overly um, – overly privileged, um, very cost conscious um, in that they they didn't tolerate waste. And people don't understand how if you can drive efficiencies, if you drive efficiencies, you can produce a product for lower price um, and still make a profit. Uh, And that's how they kept Heineken out all Mm. the years um, by keeping the prices down. Um, they outcompeted Bavaria by just the benchmark was so low, uh, and they were still making hu- huge profits, but they'd kept their costs down. And only when um, the new incumbents, the new managers came into SAB, um, have they dropped the ball. Mm. Uh, Heineken only really got a chance once, um, and now maybe giving opinion out. But uh, once the AB InBev people came and they uh, made inefficient decisions, yeah. um, how, yes, outsourcing can work, um, but you need to understand it to make it work. So outsourcing distribution. Um, yeah, anyway. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, breweries definitely had great traditions. Uh, they also had free beer after work every day uh, and they also gave us free beer at the end of the month and then they even paid us can you believe it? <laughs> yeah the highlights uh, yeah. of your life right? yeah. yeah okay that's 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 lovely so then then you went out on your own and um where did the, where who was your first customer breweries um we so I'm working with a bunch uh, called Global Beverage Solutions, GBS, okay. um, doing brewing training. Uh, the idea was to do beverages, but there's enough work in brewing that we've never had to do too much else. Um, and I'm trying to think what my first my first job was. So I was a travel trainer, so I'd travel out, um, and I, I'm almost going to say my first job was Russia. Um mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it was Russia. Um, it was uh, Kaluga Brewery in Russia. Kaluga is a city in Russia. It was their, it was their Cape Canaveral, the, the space city of Russia um, in the dark days of uh, the Cold War. And we did training in the middle of winter in Russia. Fascinating. Um, and my next posting was Nigeria. <laughs> So from minus 27 to plus 30 um, in, you know, come home, wash the washing, go out a week later, and it was plus 30. It was, uh, yeah. And the, and the difference in the beer? Um, so the German, uh, sorry, the Russians, um, pretty straightforward. Um, 
clean drinking lagers, obviously um, big European influence there. It was an SAB brewery. Okay. Uh, it now falls under FS, uh, which is a Turkish brewery, brewer, brewing company. Um, and uh, SAB had gone in there. They bought a, a, uh, a floundering parastatal and they brought in their efficiencies, just driving efficiencies. And they made it work and they got a, a, a very good beer out there. It was Lotaya Bochka, Golden Barrel. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, good, easy drinking pale lager, uh, European Pulse. Mm. Yeah. And then Nigeria um, could have been a dark one. So Nigeria, um, two big customers there, uh, three big customers now. Um, so Heineken owns Nigerian breweries, um, and they do uh, a couple of beers. Um, my favorite one there is Gulda. Gulda is a, a brown bottle, um, just a good standard lager. Um, and then Guinness with their start, FES, 7.2% alcohol. And, uh, and now lately, for the last uh, probably 10 years, 15 years, uh, has been uh, SAB with uh, Trophy Trophy and Hero are the two brands there. Um, which And those were, uh, and ironically, in about 2000, I'd done work on sorghum brewing, making a lager from sorghum, seeing it as a, a budget raw material. Um, this local government blocked it. They saw it as anti-competitive. Um, you know, SAB starting to play in the sorghum category. And... Uh, but in Africa, it was a very important way of driving the local agriculture, driving the, um, you know, farmers, the co-ops, the grain handling systems, trucks, all of that. Um, so Hero, um, I'm trying to think, Goldberg is the Heineken one, um, Goldberg and Star, uh, and even the, the Guinness brands are a lot of um, pale, so pale lagers, but made from 80% odd sorghum, uh, 20% malt. Mm. Um, it worked. It's worked really well. Uh, you pick up, uh, as a South African, you know, Maltabella. Um, so you do pick up in the aroma of the beer, you do pick up the Maltabella uh, aroma, um, but it's definitely a pale lager. Mm. Okay. And then... And you must have then just gone on and worked in all sorts of countries. So most of the work is up and down Africa. Mm. Uh, uh, so uh, Anglophone Africa. So Ghana, mm. lovely place. Um, my favorite place, um, if I ever am forced to leave, Uganda. Mm. Uganda, if you ever get the chance, um, there's a, a city. It's not quite a city. It's a town. Um, just up Lake Victoria from, uh, so you land in Entebbe, then you've got about 60 kilometers to uh, Kampala and then another 60 or 80 kilometers to Jinja. And uh, it's at the source of the Nile, where the Nile River flows out of Lake Victoria and the brewery is on the Nile River, um, maybe about 200 meters from the source of the Nile. So they draw their water from the Nile River. Just think of the, the marketing opportunities globally. Yeah. Um, and and they got some lovely, lovely beers there. So uh, Kenya, Tanzania, 
been to a few places in Tanzania, um, Mozambique, Zim, Botswana, and Namibia, to the SAB Brewery in Namibia. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, and then one or two other ones, Sierra Leone, just uh, when the Ebola break was, outbreak was happening, I was in Sierra Leone. Um, you know, I think the PR, like uh, this whole coronavirus, um, the PR was much better than the situation on the ground. You know, the, the, um, the television cameras don't show the people uh, going about their normal daily mm. duties. They show the, uh, everyone in their hazmat suits and uh, dead bodies everywhere. Um, yeah, so, uh, so I was in Sierra Leone when the uh, Ebola outbreak was happening. Okay, and uh, South Sudan? Oh, yes, South Sudan. Uh, ginger and uh, uh, Juba, 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 Juba. Yeah. That was, um, their beer was White Bull. Um, I was there for uh, probably five weeks, six weeks, um, teaching guys who'd previously been child soldiers how to brew beer, how to filter <laughs> beer. Um, yeah, a lovely little brewery from, from Czech Republic. Um, about the same size as Bavaria, but then they had, whereas Bavaria had one brew house, they had two brew houses. Um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, things went a bit pear-shaped there um, a, a few years later. I couldn't tell you when. Mm. And, uh, you can, and the brewery was not I, I did a, a very interesting podcast with Louis Peters, who was, yes. who was the commercial director at South Sudan. At Juba Breweries. Okay. okay, okay, yes. Yeah. And um, yeah? No, he's got a lovely stories, and he's, he's a lot of adventure of his travels through Africa. Yeah. So they had um, Unimogs for delivery vehicles, <laughs> four by four Mercedes, uh, you know, um, kind of two tons. I think they took kind of two pallets. Um, and then a very unique distribution model in that uh, – um, people with motorbikes would rock up at the brewery gate, um, uh, deliver empties, uh, maybe uh, six or eight ca uh, cases of quartz empties, um, loaded on either side of the passenger seat like panniers, um, then load up eight cases of fulls, and off they'd go, kind of like the model in South Africa of your ice cream, yeah. you know, the guy with the ice cream, tinkle, tinkle, tinkle. And these guys would have these uh, small... Uh, Indian motorbikes, 125cc motorbikes, um, eight cases of beer, cold, and then they'd go off and sell it. <laughs> <A> different <laughs> yeah. world, eh? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of some others. Mwanza in Tanzania was very interesting. Mwanza had, uh, you're on the lake. So when you did sundowners in the pub, uh, the staff pub at Mwanza, you had the sun setting. Uh, over Lake Victoria. Um, yeah, magical, 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 magical. Coming back from uh, uh, Lagos and people are griping about traffic lights um, being out and you want to clip them over the back of the head and say, you can travel at 120 kilometers an hour from Johannesburg all the way down to Durban um, without slowing down unless you need to fill up with petrol or yeah. get a coffee, wherever you want. Um, there was a stretch 
where it was maybe two kilometers in Lagos and in the rain uh, that could take you 20 minutes yeah. um, because of serious potholes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Look at the good. Look at the good. Yeah. Uh, what are we trying to do? I think focus on where we're going to. Um, where do we want this craft beer industry uh, to go to? Um, because there's opportunity. 15% of the uh, American beer market is craft beer. Um, just the craft beer sales in the USA is bigger than the South African beer market in total. <laughs> you know, um, uh, I can't remember the brewery, but they've got a craft brewer, craft brewer the same size as Alroad, which is, or the Heineken Brewery, which yeah. is um, huge. Yeah. Yeah. And, so anyway. Yeah. Tell us about the work that you do with the craft brewers, or is it only with uh, Swigger? I've helped a couple. Okay. Um, it's mostly ad hoc kind of stuff. Swagger is um, my my home base. Um, it's five kilometers from home, so um, I can cycle here. Um, and I do cycle many days. Um, but I've helped. Uh, there's a guy in Harry Smith, um, Free State, Free State Brewery, uh, in Harry Smith tiny little brewery, um, really energetic guy who is uh, making Lazenby Worcester sauce. And uh, as a hobby for himself, he built a craft brewery. Sounds a bit like George, doesn't it? <laughs> um, and uh, um, I don't think he's doing too well at the moment. Um, he had an idea. He had a model um, that was very alternative to craft. He wasn't going premium. He was looking very much at mainstream, um, and he saw himself in the sweet spot between um, Durban Prospectin Brewery and Alroad in Joburg. So he figured he was a furthest for SAB to hit. Um, <laughs> then I've helped uh, Mad Giant Yebin mm. um, for a bit. Very independent, bright guy, um, hugely enthusiastic, hugely professional. Um, who else have they been? There was Mainstream Brewery. I don't think they're around anymore. In fact, they aren't around anymore. Um, yeah. Smash. Smack. Smack Republic. Smack Republic, yeah. Yes, he's around still, but um, I did work with the, the earlier guys. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, not so much in the Cape, uh, but really because of the travel, um, I haven't tried to develop... I haven't tried to develop a customer base amongst the craft brewers. Um, so a lot of it would be um, a phone call and ad hoc advice. You know, um, we've got this problem, go look at this, that, and the other. Um, the railroad brewing company mm. down your way, um, some things there, um, but I've never been to their brewery in Durban. So it's yeah. a lot of phone call. Okay. Um, you know, you've got innate knowledge and you can pass it on and yeah makes the world a better place yeah makes the beers <clears throat> Andrew I, I'd love to do uh, maybe a follow up I think uh, you've got so okay. much to share w with us and it's it's really been wonderful just to touch base and catch up after so many years uh, and maybe that follow up should be at Swagger Breweries 
I think that would be great. <laughs> and, and we'll do some tasting and we'll, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, come have a look. Um, because, uh, so Swagger is my, um, my flagship. So yeah. um, I've tried to drive some of the best practices here, drive efficiencies, um, standardize things. Um, yeah, uh, we're doing okay, or they're doing okay. I don't have any ownership in it, um, but I'm no monetary ownership. Mm. Um, but uh, psychologically, I am very much invested here. Yeah. Well, um, and emotionally. So, yeah. Yeah. Thanks very much, Andrew. And uh, I look forward to visiting you. Yes. When you're up in the area, uh, we'll have a beer um, here or in Heidelberg. I told you about the. Uh, um, the brewery, Heidelberg Brewery. The Heritage um, one. The Heritage Brewery. Yeah. Um, lovely restaurant, decent icebine, proper, proper decent icebine. Um, and uh, and they had a Kaltenberg flag oh. up on the wall as decoration. So, absolutely. I'll buy you a beer. Thank you for listening to our stories here online. In the show notes, you will also find a link where you can subscribe to become part of our community and be notified when we upload our latest content.